0: Imagine this scenario. You've moved to a new country on a working visa, the kind of adventure many of us dream about. You meet a fantastic person and you fall in love and you have a child. That relationship runs its course, though, and then you're made redundant at work and your application for permanent residency hasn't been finalised. You're told you have 28 days to leave the country. Your child is 18 months old. All this happened to our next guest, Andrea. He came to Australia for a working holiday from Italy more than a decade ago, and now he has a son called Marley. Uh, Andrea spent the last seven years on a series of temporary visas here, but his recent applications have been rejected, and it seems his last hope is that the minister will directly intervene. Andrea, welcome to Life Matters. In 2016, you still had your job and you started the application for permanent residency. What happened when you were made redundant?
1: So when I was made redundant uh, the application for permanent residency wasn't yet lodged because of the company and uh, when they made me redundant pro in 24 hours basically I found out that I had no job and I had 28 days to find a new way to stay and now I was a father and I was a separated man So you you'd, <laughs> and you'd that filled out hard enough
0: you'd filled out the paperwork but the company hadn't finished putting it in
1: Yes, exactly. And uh, for the way they worked, a company needed to guarantee that that position was going to be available for the next three years. And obviously, with my position being made redundant, that voided all the terms uh, and requirements for that scenario to unfold.
0: So, Andrea, you and Marley's mom, Emily, broke up shortly after Marley was born, but you've been co parenting
1: since then. What impact? Absolutely. Yeah. What impact would it
0: have on her if you had to leave?
1: Well, it would be a it would be a terrible impact not just on Marley but on Emily but also Emily has two more children for which I have uh, played a father figure role ever since the, you know uh, we met at the time and they are not my children as per se blood children but our family is not just Marley Emily and I and uh, it would be a terrible impact because I know how much uh, our relationship between Marley and I. Uh, how strong it is and how meaningful it is and how necessary you know the work i'm involved into is also about helping other men healing the father wound that i also have myself and just the idea that this is a possibility for Mali to be experienced—it just tore me apart.
0: Yes, reading your story, it was clear that you know the the fact that your father was absent is uh, compounding some of the feelings that you're mm-hmm. going through here. Andrea, tell our listeners what would happen if you were made to leave Australia? Would be would you be able to return?
1: Uh, for so, what the law says is basically because my visa was rejected, uh, if the minister choose not to intervene in a positive way. I would be barred from re-entering Australia for the next three years. So that means that I could not come back for the next three years. Andrea,
0: also tell us how you've been surviving financially since all this began in 2016.
1: Well, this is something to clarify. I have always been working. The fact that uh, obviously I I was made redundant then, it didn't mean that I lost my work rights. So this is something to really clarify. Since the happened... I worked almost every day of my life. Uh, I've obviously been changing employment, uh, more aligned with my career path, uh, with uh, my previous career path. And at the time, I had to move because if you read my story, I had to move a couple of times, you know, big moves. And so I adapted to what was available. I have a family. I have a child. I have support to provide. I had to support myself.
0: And Andrea, have you heard from anyone else in a similar situation under Australia's migration rules since you've gone public with your story?
1: Unfortunately, yes. There has been three to four men reaching out, uh, you know, very casually, and saying, "Hey, I'm in your very same scenario," and that that broke my heart just to hear that. Um, you know, I'm not a unicorn, and uh, and this is a scenario. And I know for a fact from other people that told me about people that they know that, yeah, many people in these scenarios didn't have the, the determination or audacity or commitment to to try every possible avenue, and they chose the, you know, the, the less in path that is the one to just accept what things are. For me, that's not a possibility, because Marley is everything for me. I can't give this to him. I, I need to do anything I have to do, anything well- I can
0: Andrea, we appreciate you taking the time to share this story again with us on Life Matters and all the best for the future.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Andrea, who's been fighting for some time to stay in the country uh, with his son. He looked like he had all the dominoes in place at one point, but then they fell in a particular way that our migration law allows. And now he's in a very precarious situation. Peter Mayers has been writing about this and looking into this for some time too. He's an adjunct senior research fellow at Monash University. He was also a broadcaster with Radio National for more than two decades. And he's written about Andrea's case and others like it as well. Peter, welcome to Life Matters.
2: Thanks, Hilary great to be here.
0: Back in the studios. Back in
2: the studios. They haven't changed. (laughs) No, oddly. Neither of you. Different colour.
0: (laughs) Well, Peter, I mean, this is a really interesting case and you've been reporting on it since 2015. What is the path for foreign nationals with an Australian-born child? Uh, Is there a clear way for them to gain residence?
2: So just to clarify, Hilary, it's not about whether a child is Australian-born. It's whether the child is an Australian citizen. And the child will be an Australian citizen if the other parent is an Australian citizen. So then you're automatically your child is a citizen if you're a citizen. So if, if two people were here... Uh, like the family from Bilauella, and they had a child, their children don't automatically become citizens. So we're talking about a a fairly narrow category of people, and those are people who come to Australia maybe as an international student, maybe as a teenager, and then they grow up and they have a relationship with an Australian, they have a child, and that relationship falls apart, but they never applied for a partner visa. So if Andrea and Emily, um, the mother of his son Marley, if they had applied for a partner visa when they were first together, They would have had a Andrea would have had a pathway to residency even if they'd split up before that visa was issued. They're quite expensive, aren't they? That's right. So it's about it's more than eight thousand dollars to apply for one. So why would Andrea apply for that when he's got a job and he's got a visa? And why would an international student, especially, apply for that if they've got a visa? And you know how we all think our relationships are going to last forever. They don't, unfortunately, necessarily. Um, So. If you're in this particular circumstance, then there is no visa you can apply for, essentially. you, you know, you, Maybe you can stay in Australia because you're a, a brain surgeon and you can get a skilled migration visa, so then you don't have a problem. Maybe you, you partner with another Australian and get a visa as a, par- a partner. But for someone like Andrea, and I've met many people in this situation, and they're not all men, they could be women as well, if they didn't have a partner visa application, if they don't have the skills for a skilled visa, they have no pathway. And so what happens is, this is what Andrea had to do, you have to apply for a visa that you have no chance of getting. So the visa he applied for was for Norfolk Islanders, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and his, you know, he did this fully aware with proper advice. Because you have to apply for a visa and have it rejected by the immigration department. So you just pick a visa, any visa. Well, no, have you it pick rejected. a cheap visa. And ah. so often, not in Andrea's case, but often people will pick a protection visa, a refugee visa, because it's the cheapest visa to apply for. And it's wrong to be applying for a refugee visa when you know you're not a refugee. But you have to somehow get to the minister. And the minister can only intervene. The minister has these so called God powers that enables. The minister to step in and provide another outcome, a different visa, but the minister can only use those God powers after every other avenue has been exhausted. So that means, yes, you apply to the Immigration Department on a visa you know you can't get, you get knocked back, you appeal to the Ministry, of Review, uh, the Ministry of Appeals Tribunal, you get knocked back, and only then can you go to the minister and say, Dear Minister, this is my situation, please intervene.
0: And how long does all that take? Because yes. I understand the backlog at the AAT is immense.
2: Yes, yeah, um, 50,000, 60,000 cases. Um, so it, it takes a very long time. Um, so and in Andrea's case it was two years at at the AAT but then of course it could take a very long time for the minister to consider his case because the minister gets lots of these applications and a whole lot of other applications under different so-called god powers Um, and so I mean my main point in writing about these is these are compelling personal stories and uh, so I write about them for that reason as, as a journalist but also here's a you know, a, a, a sort of huge flaw, well, a small flaw in our migration system that has profound effects on not a huge number of people, but a bunch of people's lives. And Andrea talked about Not just his son, Marley, but his former partner, Emily, her other kids, who he spends a lot of time with. We can have grandparents involved. You can have other siblings. So, you know, this is easily fixed. The minister could fix this. It doesn't need legislation. The minister could adjust the um, partner visa to allow for a situation where there's a, a child. And often... The other thing is you'll have a court, not not in Andreas case, he and Emily worked out their parenting together, but you could have the family court or a, a court order saying this father has responsibility for a child, and the immigration department has no way of granting a visa on that basis.
0: That's really interesting. We're speaking with Peter Mayers about this this interesting facet of our migration law. What about the rights of the child? I mean, we've been talking a lot about the rights of the parent and how they go about staying here. Is there anything formalised about the rights that a a child has to see their parent?
2: Well, interestingly, Australia, of course, is a signatory to the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And when cases like this came up before the minister, there used to be a set of guidelines that said the Convention on the Rights of the Child needed to be one of the considerations the minister took into account. Um, Peter Dutton, as Immigration Minister, changed the guidelines. I don't know whether they've been changed again, but the Convention on the Rights of the Child was taken out. But you're, you're making the fundamental point. What matters here... I mean, w- w- really central to this is you have a child who has a right to have access to both their parents. And if you don't, if Andrea doesn't get a visa, doesn't get a right to stay in Australia, then his son, Mali, doesn't have a right to both his parents, and Marley is an Australian citizen. So yes, fundamental issue.
0: I find it fascinating too. You mentioned the the uh, Liberal Party's role in changing the rules, but the Home Affairs Minister, Labor's Claire O'Neill, has called this migration issue a kind of permanent, temporary limbo. And she says it's an example of the migration program failing to align
2: with Australian values. If that's the case, why haven't the ALP made any moves to change it? Well, I think I think uh, this is a you know it's a very narrow and specific sort of case. I have had, I had a, a slightly unedifying experience uh, giving evidence to, a, to the Joint Standing Committee on Migration recently and talked about this and was asked, well, wouldn't people abuse this? And I'm saying, you, you actually mean that um, someone's going to come to Australia and make a deal with someone to get deliberately pregnant so they can have a child and have all the obligations that go with the child in order to get a visa? I don't think so. You know, well, you can see how someone might skip the obligations to the child bit if they felt they were going to well, get but to stay if, here. if you get to stay here, you can't skip those obligations because they're enforced under law. You have to pay – I mean, yes, the law may not work very well. Yeah, but Peter if you saw me this, rolling my eyes at the yeah, anecdotal but, experience I've heard from my yeah, friends. But if you send this person back to a foreign country, what are the chances they'll contribute to the life of that child? What are the chances they'll and, – and, you know, the cases I've come across are all cases where there is a strong bond – between the child and the parent now even you know we don't get rid of um, unemployment benefits because some people wrought the system we don't get rid of partner visas because some people wrought the system if you were going to wrought the system you'd try a different a much easier path than this one it takes two people you can't you know, it's, it's two people who have a child together. It's, it's not like. And, and then the fact is, once the child is born, the child is there, the child is an Australian citizen, that citizen has rights and the government has obligations towards it. How do we compare with other jurisdictions overseas, other similar countries? Oh, look, um, because it's such a, a kind of narrow bit of migration law, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. Question, but uh, I know that in the UK, um, fully, I know that England does have a pathway, a clear pathway, where you have caring responsibilities for a minor in England and, and enabling you to get a visa to come and care for that child. Say, for example, you may be separated; the child may be living with their, their mother. The mother may be killed in a car accident, and then you need to come and care for the child rather than take the child out of their familiar environment. So, there's a visa for that sort of situation, which we we don't have as such.
0: So Andrea is trying to get in front of the eyes of the minister through that's this right. convoluted and, 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 and weird
2: pathway. And the tribunal, the Administrative of Appeals Tribunal, has recommended that the minister consider his case. So that's something the tribunal can do.
0: How often is the
2: result the one that Andrea wants? <laughs> well, I think um, it, it, it's it's not possible to say because this minister has not been in, in office for such a long time and also because the decision-making here is completely opaque. So these powers, these so-called God powers, are non-compellable, as in the minister can't be forced to make a decision. They're non-reviewable. So when the minister does make a decision, there's no challenging it before the courts or reviewing it. So And the minister just needs to make a statement to parliament every time he makes a decision. But that statement doesn't give you any personal details, of course, for good reasons, for privacy reasons. So we don't really know. And I I asked how many cases are in front of the minister at the moment like this, uh, and neither the minister's office nor the immigration, the Home Affairs Department would answer or could answer so i've put in an foi request we'll see how that goes but i'm not holding my breath for an answer on that one either a lot of people waiting for an outcome on this
0: and esther in paddo in sydney says the department of immigration sounds like something out of a kafka novel surely the government needs to overhaul this fast that that is the tenor of the text coming in on this
2: as we speak with peter Mears. peter thanks so much for joining us thanks Hilary, and like i say simple rule change and this all goes away
0: Peter Mayers, adjunct senior research fellow at Monash University and a contributing editor to Inside Story magazine. And you heard earlier from Andrea, who's been fighting for some years now to stay in Australia with his Australian son, Marley.
2: Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask
1: your smart speaker to play ABC RN.